I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. That's good to see y'all this morning. Uh, we are glad uh, glad to be back home and uh, to uh, enjoy the weekend last weekend with our son and our daughter-in-law, Andrew and Samantha. As a matter of fact, I just texted him a picture of Misty and I and those two, and maybe he'll get it up here in a minute. Uh, but th- let me just let you know that um, the weather out there is a little bit different than here in the South, Okay. And so last Saturday, we had the wedding. It was 71 degrees and no humidity. And at night, we were wearing jackets. And so uh, we came back uh, to uh, the sweltering heat here in Pensacola. But uh, man, I just, uh, just we love Andrew and love Sam. And uh, those of you who've been around here for many years know there's a, a young man that sat right up here for years with his guitar. He got him a guitar and went on YouTube and learned how to play it. And uh, when he left us, he had a, uh, a beard and a, and a mullet. And uh, one of the great things about the military is that he is a sharp-looking, clean-shaven young man now. And so have you got that picture yet, Charlie? Or, uh, I'd love for them to see it. If you, uh, Is it going to work or no? Just give me a yes or a no back there, and I'll move on. Okay. All right. Anyhow, maybe we can get it by the end of the service. How about that? All right. Take your Bible and go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm uh, going to walk through a few verses with you today. Uh, I've got two more shots at you today and next Sunday, and uh, so I really have just been praying, Lord, what do you want me to preach about? And I felt like the Lord uh, directed me uh, to this subject for today, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. I want to preach to you on coming together coming together. Before I read the text, uh, let me give you an invitation from Pastor Josh Wolnofer of Klondike Church on Mobile Highway. Uh, Tonight, I'll be preaching there at 6 o'clock. He just invited me to come and, uh, of course, encouraged me to invite you to come and uh, to meet some of your brothers and sisters in Christ and have a worship service with us tonight. That'll be at 6 o'clock, Klondike Church on Mobile Highway. I'm going to read today from the CSB in my text. Uh, so it won't be ESV, it'll be CSB, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. My goal today would uh, be to encourage us and challenge us on the importance of coming together. Would you pray with me? Bow your head and take a deep breath, physically a deep breath, spiritually. Ask the Lord to speak to you from His Word today. God, grateful for this day, grateful for the blessings of this moment and for this text. And I thank you for the opportunity to preach your Word once again, to have the health and the energy to stand here and do that. Thank you, Lord, for your inspired, infallible, and errant Word. And for this section that you have led me to, to give the Point Church a a strong challenge about the importance of coming together, about the importance of unity. And so I pray that 
You would help me to say everything I need to say and not say anything that I shouldn't say, but to preach the text as it is written and to bring a challenge to your people. I pray today for the one that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, doesn't understand the cross and what happened 2,000 years ago. I pray today would be their day of salvation. Holy Spirit of God, draw them, draw them to repentance and faith, we pray. I pray for the Christian that's been discouraged or maybe disconnected or felt defeated. I pray that you would encourage them today. And for all of us, help us to answer the call to unity and to coming together for the sake of the gospel. And I pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. This section of 1 Peter, I believe, is a, such an encouraging section. How many of you know we need encouragement in our walk with the Lord? We need that individually, and then we need that as a church, as the body of Christ. One of the most important factors of encouraging us, encouraging one another, is this matter of unity, the importance of unity in the church. If you were here during the first few weeks of our study in 1 Corinthians, you heard me say every Sunday for probably three months, that unity is not something to be achieved, it is something to be recognized. You don't achieve unity, you recognize unity. Why? Because we already have our unity, our connection, our bond is in Jesus Christ. The old preacher M.R. Dehan said that God cares nothing about our man-made divisions and groups, is not interested in our self-righteous hair-splitting, and religious man-made formulas and organization. He wants you to recognize the unity of the body of Christ. So let me begin today by just asking you, are you living right now in your walk with Jesus in such a way that you're speaking and acting in such a way that you recognize the unity that we have in Christ? Now let me say this. We are not called to be cloned robots. We are all different. We're from different walks of life. We have different uh, uh, upbringings and understandings of, of church and, and different aspects of the Christian life. Uh, that's why Warren Wiersbe said that unity does not mean uniformity. It means cooperation in the midst of diversity. Now, as we look around us today, we certainly see uh, chaos. We see a lot of things going on around us uh, that maybe concern you or trouble you about both uh, the world, the uh, country, and even the local New Testament church. It is important for us to embrace unity and cooperation with those of us who truly believe that the answer for all of that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you still believe today with all your heart that Jesus is the answer? That Jesus is the answer for the world. He's the answer for every man's problem. William Barclay said Christ's aim for the church is that the members of the church should arrive at perfect unity. I love that word arrive. We're on a journey together. And we all need to arrive. We all need to land on a spot of perfect unity. That's not just a good suggestion. But Barclay said that is, that's Christ's aim. That's Christ's goal for this church, is that the church would come together in perfect unity. There's a clear theme in the verses that I read for you just a moment ago, verses 8 through 12, of coming together, coming together in the body of Christ. Let me unpack that for just a minute, if I may. I want to I want to point out, first of all, that, that if we're going to come together, there must be a togetherness in our purpose. A togetherness in our purpose. Look at verse number eight. The first word there is the word finally. Now, finally, not at it as in the end of the letter, because we know there are more verses after verse number eight, but it is finally in this middle section where he is addressing our relationships 
and how we interact with other people. Finally, this is important. Let me, let me summarize all of this together by saying you must have a togetherness in your purpose. Now, if I could set the context for what he is writing, uh, we know that he uh, writes First Peter to Christians who are experiencing severe persecution. As a matter of fact, the Jews uh, have experienced the diaspora or the scattering. They have been driven from their homes. They've been driven uh, from their homeland, and now they're scattered abroad. And as you're scattered out, uh, God's people connect, okay? And so the, the Jewish Christians are connecting with their Gentile brothers and sisters. How many of you know it was very easy for them to experience some conflict or to experience some friction? The Jews and the Gentiles coming together in that uh, sociological relationship, even if you will, it would, have been, it would have been very easy for them to get focused on what divides them as opposed to what unites them. And so Peter's saying, Jew and Gentile, you must truly come together. Here's what we know even from reading the New Testament. Sometimes division and conflict is inevitable. Don't think for one second, if Peter and Paul <laughs> withstood each other face to face over an issue, that at times things are going to happen. Disagreements are inevitable. But we have to come back when we have a disagreement. We have to, we have to come back to our purpose. Notice, notice that Peter says, all of you, all of you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you've been saved and washed in the blood of the Lamb, wave at me and say amen. Okay, so now I'm speaking to you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the matter is already settled as to what your purpose is in existing. I remember years ago, I read a book by J.R. Vassar entitled Glory Hunger. And in that, he unpacks the fact that as humans, we have a tendency to desire glory for ourselves. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Uh, look at what I'm accomplishing uh, in, in my walk. And, and if we're not careful, we'll want the attention to be on us and what we're doing, and we'll get away from our purpose. The attention and the glory is not for us. The glory is reserved for God through our lives as we live it out. The Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The only way you can do that is to truly know who you are in Christ. And that begins with knowing where you came from, that you were created by God Almighty, and that we are responsible to our Creator, and that God sent us His very best, not His leftovers, but His very best. He sent us His only begotten Son to die on the cross 2,000 years ago and shed His blood so that we could be forgiven of our sins and that we could have a relationship with God. Our relationship with him is broken, but through Christ and the forgiveness that we have through the cross, we can enter into fellowship, koinonia, with the creator of the universe. If you raised your hand a minute ago, you know who you are in Christ. You know you did not save yourself. You know that when you stand before your creator one day, it's not going to be about scales and the balance of the scales of how much good you do as to whether or not uh, you're going to make it into heaven. You're only going to make it into heaven if you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, if you've been saved by the grace of God. So you know where you came from. You know who you are right now in this moment, and you also know where you are going. You live your life day by day knowing that you have an eternal purpose. Now let's talk individually here for just a minute. Do you know your purpose? If you know your purpose, are you living out that purpose every day? Is your life bringing glory to God? There's also a corporate aspect here, okay? There's the individual aspect, but there's also a corporate aspect where Peter says, all of you. Now, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the big C. Sometimes you hear preachers say that, right? 
the big C church. The church, the true church of Jesus today is made up of people who have been born again by the grace of God. When the rapture happens or the second coming, wherever you land on that theologically, we know that Christ is coming back. When he comes back, he's coming back for the church. I do not believe he's just coming for the Baptist. Okay? I'm a Baptist. I believe we'll be flying first class, uh, you know, on the journey. But I believe he's coming back for those who have been truly born again. You, you, I mean, you, you, you read your Bible and, and it says, you know, there's, there, there's wheat, there's tares among the wheat, there's some that are truly saved and not saved. And, and so at the end of the day, God's going to sort all that out. And those of us that are leaving this place are those that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so, so Peter is really writing not to a specific local church, but to the church as they experience persecution. This is not in my notes, but let me say it. Church, in this day and time, on the trajectory that we are on in the world that we live in, persecution is only going to intensify. And we had better learn the important lesson of coming together. We had better remember what our purpose is. Let's talk about the local church. Point church, we must remember what our purpose is. Now, if the church is going to live out its purpose, that means that all of us individually have to live out our purpose in that we know the basic aim of our life and our walk with Jesus. It is not me. It is not self. It is not my agenda. It is not individualism. It is not self-interest. We focus on our purpose, which is to bring glory to God in all things. We exist as a church to be a greenhouse. To be a greenhouse. This is supposed to be a place where people grow in Christ, where people become more mature. And so we exist for discipleship. We also exist to reach the lost. So I want to ask you today, do you do you care? Do you have a burden? Do you have a desire for the, the empty seats that might be around you, for them to be filled with people in this community who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? What brings us together today? It is, it is the unity of our purpose. We do not work in isolation, but we work together. If I were to ask you today, what is the purpose of this church? If you would have an answer that goes like this, to make disciples and to reach the lost, you would be 100% correct, and anything outside of that would be a secondary issue. That's why the church exists, to bring glory to God by making disciples and reaching the lost. But sometimes people have a different perspective about what the church is. I, I was reading one pastor in Illinois, and he was talking about some of the faulty metaphors that sometimes people develop about the church. He said some look at the church as a gas station. It's just a, a place for you to stop by once a week and fill up your spiritual tank. Other people view the church as a theater. It's a place you go and you sit down and you just watch others perform. Other people view the church as a drugstore. It's a place to help with your psychological pain. Some people fall into the trap of consumerism, he said, and they look at the church as a big box retailer that is a place to produce programs for children and adults. And yet other people view the church as a tourist destination where you just drop in and visit. And there's no sense of commitment. There's no sense of permanency. There's no sense in urgency to the purpose of the church. And, and I just remind you that all of those things that I just mentioned to you, they are not the purpose of the church. What is the true purpose of the church? The Bible shows us, it's very clear, that we come together. Togetherness in biblical community. Knowing our Bible, understanding our Bible, obeying our Bible, and, and we have a picture of a family, a church that is doing life together. We focus on our purpose as to why we exist. And we have to be together when it comes to the call to the gospel of Jesus Christ to know him and to make him known. The effectiveness of any local church will be measured. It depends on how focused we are on the mission that God has called us to. 
I love what Henry Ford said. No, he wasn't a pastor, but he was a car maker. Henry Ford said, coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. Now, I know that's not Bible. It's not a Bible verse, but I think it's good. Coming together, just, just being here, that's the beginning. Staying together is the process. And then when we work together, that is success. How is a local church measured when it comes to success? Are we giving God glory in what we're doing? And are we making disciples and reaching the lost as he has called us to do? Togetherness in our purpose. But secondly, I think Peter addresses something else. He addresses togetherness in our understanding. Togetherness in our understanding. Did you notice what he said there? He said that we're to, we're to understand one another. That word means to, to be sympathetic. To, to have a measure of understanding for one another. To, to, to know that we all don't think alike. We're not all from the same neighborhood. Uh, we, we didn't grow up in the same church or geographically. But, but people just come from all over, kind of like the Jews and the Gentiles here uh, that, that Peter is writing to. And, and the body of Christ comes together. And the word here literally is that you have a spirit of harmony. You have a spirit of harmony. I love that word. And I'll tell you why, because I love music. Anybody love music? You love harmony? I mean, I grew up in my family. My, my family's a singing family. I mean, we grew up around the piano. When I was a kid, I went to, I went to singing school. But primarily, we'd get together, and uh, we had several people in the family, particularly my Aunt Sylvia. She played the piano, and we'd get together and we knew if we were going to have a family reunion or whatever, there was going to be sing time, okay? And we'd go over, and we'd get around the piano, and we'd pick this song or that song, and, and uh, some of my cousins and uncles and family, we would, we would just start singing some four-part harmony. Now, I'm going to tell you, I believe when we get around the throne of God, it's going to be four-part harmony. Oh, yeah, yeah, y'all woke up then. You like four-part harmony. I mean, I grew up quartet, you know? You just find your part. We pick a song, there's four of us are going to sing, and then you start blending your voices together. And, and if somebody takes that part, you just take another one. And, and finally, eventually, we would sing together in four-part harmony, and the goal in that would be to blend with our pitch and to sing at just the right volume to where the sound that we were making in the room was pleasant to the ears. Four-part harmony. Man, I love that. You know. That word harmony there and the illustration I just gave you is exactly what we need in the church. Everybody find your slot. Find, find your, your spot. Who you are, what God has called you to, and, and, and stay on pitch <laughs> and do your best to blend and make a sound that is pleasant to the ear. That's the picture there of the word harmony, unified and together. Uh, unfortunately, in the church sometimes, there are some people who want their mic to be turned up louder than the person beside them. They want to be heard more. And you know what it does? It throws off the harmony. we got to have understanding. you got to know, you got to know the person beside you. You need to know what part they're singing so you can do your part. We were talking this week about the church today, and there's, I'll mention in just a minute, a book that I just finished reading. But there are currently seven generations. Look at this on the screen real quick. I want you to think about this church in this perspective. There are currently seven generations in the church. Seven. The first group is the greatest generation, born between 1901 and 1927. Of course, those are, are getting fewer and fewer. And then you have the, the silent generation. That's 1928 to 1945. If you're in that category, you're known as the radio generation because the radio connected you to the rest of the world. You went through World War II and, and the Great Depression. And I would just say that, that that generation has given and is giving a lot for the ministry of the local church. If you're in that group, I want to remind you, they're saying now that 
that that group retires at 65, but many are living uh, later even into their 90s. They're calling that a second adulthood. And so it, just because you get to that age and retire, don't think for one second that God's not going to use you in His kingdom to invest in people and to do His work. There is, there's time that you have now in front of you that you can invest in His kingdom work. And then there's the baby boomer generation. 1946 to 1964. I heard some of you just say, oh, me, there a little bit. That's your, that's your category. You grew up in a very economically optimistic time. Unfortunately, your generation, don't be mad and leave, all right? At least stay to the end. It's known as the me generation. Generation has become highly individualistic. In the local church, the research shows that many times this generation struggles with evaluating the church without having a self-focused perspective. It's real easy to make it, make it about us as opposed to making it about the mission and the purpose and the vision. I would say to this generation, we want the young people to learn to make a difference and, and to be difference makers. And I, I just want you to know, baby boomer generation, you're making a big difference in people's lives, and I want to thank you for that. Keep it up. Keep it up. Remember your purpose. Your purpose is God's glory. Your purpose is the mission. And then we move into my generation. Generation X, 65 to 1980. It's actually the smallest people group in this demographic. We, we've moved to less kids. My generation experienced the shift in the family destructor, uh, structure. Divorce became easier and more common. There are many people in my generation that didn't grow up with two parents in the home. Unfortunately, my generation is known as the group, we build our own truth. True for you, but not for me, is our mentality. And then we get into the millennial generation. We were joking about this a few weeks ago in the office, how for years now we just, oh, those millennials. How many of you done that? Confess in the house of God. Hey, I got news for you. Millennials are in their 40s in their 40s. They're not young college kids anymore. The Los Angeles Times did a piece that 27 is the new 18. The millennials become an adult when they're 26. Think about that. The millennials are an expressive generation. They love being involved in things, but here's what they want. They want authenticity. They want the church to stop fighting over things that don't matter, and they want to work together for a common cause. And then there's Generation Z, 96 to 2012. My wife and I were standing at the SeaTac airport last Tuesday. We were going through the security, going through that circus. And I was standing there, I was looking at all these people and all these machines and all these gadgets and all that, and I looked over and there's some steps going up, and it just hit me, I, I can't explain it to you, but it just hit me, like all of this is gone, it's not even here. And I said to my wife, you know, when I was a kid, we had to walk right up those steps right there. We had to walk right back to the gate. As a matter of fact, I remember as a kid, my dad flying, and, and we would we would let him get his ticket. We'd walk all the way back to the gate and we'd stand there and we'd hug him as he went down the tarmac and got on the plane. But all of that changed on 9-11, right? And Generation Z has known nothing but that. Millennials hold the distinction as the largest people group, but now they're being passed. Or they be, they're about to be passed. Millennials are about to be passed by Generation Z. And then we have this newest batch, 2013 to 2025. It is known as Gen, Gen Alpha. They're known as digital natives. As they've grown up in a world where technology and the internet has always been a part of their daily lives. They're the first generation to never have known a world without smartphones and social media. Now you can complain and point and all this and all that. Just hold on just a minute. There's seven generations in the church. And you know what we need to do? We need to understand one another. There are too many churches today where people are telling young people, you get over there and sit down and be quiet. 
or, or we're making this statement, they're the church of tomorrow. No, they're not. They're the church of today. And when I read my Bible, when I read my Bible, if you want to obey the Bible, hear me for just a minute. If you want to truly obey your Bible, I read in here where older people are supposed to disciple the younger people. That's what I read. And we need to understand one another. And we need to, hear me, we need to understand where we are at and where we are headed. I just finished a book. I got a, a release of it. I received it in the mail on the 22nd of August. It just came out. I got the first edition of it. I read it while I was gone. And the title of the book is The Dechurched. The Dechurched. Why are they leaving? Where are they going? And what does the future look like? Hear me. In, in recorded numbers, statistics, if you will, the best we can tell, the greatest season of growth of the church in North America was right after the Civil War. Church numbers just went through the roof, began to grow. But I want to, I want to not to be negative or to be gloom and doom, I want to give you a current picture of where we're at right now. In the last 25 years, 40 million people have walked away from the evangelical church in North America. Did you hear what I just said? 40 million. There are a lot of reasons for that. It's not one thing. Not one thing. Some, some maybe are not saved. Some become hurt. Or there's a variety of things. The book unpacks that. But here's what really reached out and grabbed me. If the trajectory line that those statistics are on remain the same, gang in the year 2050, the church in North America is going to be in a whole different shape than it's even in right now. What, what are you saying, Pastor? Some of you are like, move on, Pastor. Talk about something else. No, you better listen to me. You better listen to me. Some of you middle-aged and older adults, don't grab some of these young people and disciple them and help them grow in Christ and teach them what it means to witness. 20 years, you're thinking 2050. Some of you are thinking, I'll be out of here. And I need to ask you today, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? Got to get focused on that. You got to get focused on that. And you got to say, man, I need to get some understanding. I need to know maybe how to communicate with a young person. Or maybe you need to get a burden for someone and, and invest some time in them. Just, just hear me, I'm not being ugly. Maybe just a little bit less time playing cards and a little bit more time discipling. Just a chance. Togetherness in our understanding. Let me move on. Togetherness in love. Togetherness in love. Peter says you got to love one another. I love what D.A. Carson said. He said believers, still distinct, are to be one in purpose, in love, in action undertaken with and for one another, in joint submission to the revelation that we have received. Now, if you're saved today, there's a call in your life. There's a revelation that took place that Jesus Christ is Lord and He is the only way to eternal life. You have a purpose that eternity matters. And then as you are a part of the body of Christ, you're, you're focused on your purpose and you're focused on your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. How many of you believe the church, this church, should be the most loving place in this community? Most loving place. This place ought to be a loving place. A place where people look forward to and people think in their mind, man, if there's, if there's one place in this town I know I can go and be loved on, it's the Point Church. We were uh, Wednesday night in here teaching through First John, just man, having a great time with that. And we were talking Wednesday night about uh, proofs of salvation. How do we, John writes about how do we know that we've been born again? You know, we don't, uh, when we get saved, we don't get a government issued ID, you know, Christian uh, kind of thing, you know, that you have an identification card. But John just says, hey, if you really have been born again, there's some fruit that is produced in your life. And, and one of the things that John really stresses there is that Christian people are loving people. 
you know, if you say, well, you know, I'm just kind of a little rough around the edges. I'm just kind of, you know, or, well, maybe, maybe you need to pray that God do work in you. Maybe people around you don't look at you as a loving person. And God would say, God's saying to you right now, hey, you need to change your presentation. Because, here's our identifier. John says in 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we are smart theologically. And we set a bunch of people straight. It's not what John said. John said, because we love our brothers and our sisters in Christ. The one who does not love remains in death. So, so one of the things I love about John is that he's so blunt. He's so straightforward. He just puts it right out there. You don't, you don't have any uh, question about, did he really say that? No, he said it. He said, if you don't love, if you don't have love in your heart for your brothers and sisters in Christ, then, then you're showing that you're not born again. That's what he's saying there. You're still remaining in death. Point Church, can I challenge you today by God's grace and with his help to focus on loving one another? Loving, I mean genuinely loving one another. Let me give you the next one. Peter says that we need to have togetherness in our compassion, in our compassion. I love what Ruth Graham said years ago. She said, pray for a tough hide and a tender heart. Pray for a tough hide, but to have a tender heart. Compassion. You know, maybe you're here someone today and you would say, well, I, you know, I'm just kind of a straightforward kind of a guy. I just don't have much compassion. I wouldn't brag about that too loud. Because what you're really saying is, is I'm living in my personality instead of living in obedience to God's Word and passion. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse number 15, that God's people, Christian people, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We, we fight against having covetousness or resentment over someone else's blessing. You know, we don't look at someone else's blessing and think, well, God, you didn't do that for me. But rather, you rejoice for someone else over God's goodness or, or things that happen in their life. And then he says, we weep with those who weep. Yesterday, in a beautiful, beautiful time, the body of Christ came together right here in this room, and we had a memorial service for Kate Harville. And I saw a bunch of people weep with a man that's weeping, with a family that's grieving. We come together. We have compassion. We look at someone else's dilemma or someone else's situation that they're in, and we can feel their pain. Now, now stay with me just a minute. I believe there's a scriptural basis that we are following the example of Christ when we do that. Because Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, in every way as we are yet without sin. And we'd be grateful for just a moment that we serve a sympathizing Savior. And He wants us to sympathize. A few years ago, there was a study done by the University of Michigan and the University of Georgia of their incoming freshmen, and there was a piece written about this that one of the things they identified about these young people is that there was a very high percentage of them who did not have empathy. That means that they didn't know how to feel someone else's pain or they didn't know really how to be compassionate or how to care for someone else. You better hear me, Christian. Don't blame your personality for not living in the Spirit and having empathy for others. Have compassion. Have compassion. Have compassion one for another. Have understanding 
one for another. Carry one another's burdens, Galatians says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Togetherness in our compassion. Let me finish. Togetherness in our humility. Humility. Peter says, you got to have humility in your group. you got to be humble. C.S. Lewis said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. When we become prideful, when we become arrogant, when we allow a a, a know-it-all spirit to develop inside of us, it is inevitable, whether it's at home or at the church, that, that conflict is going to happen. When pride overwhelms us in our thinking, in our actions, in our speech, conflict arises. And that's why Peter says there, the end of verse number 9, that we do not return. We do not return evil for evil. We do not return insult for insult. We don't get prideful and arrogant and puffed up. We don't settle scores. We don't get even in the Christian life. But rather, every day we preach the gospel to ourselves. I think that's something that I missed in the earlier years of my walk with Jesus. We all understand that we need to hear the gospel in order to be saved, in order to repent and believe on Christ. But that's not the end of needing the gospel. You have to preach the gospel to yourself every day as you live the Christian life. Because if you don't, you'll get puffed up. And you'll develop a mindset of look at me or look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm accomplishing. As opposed to pointing all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise to Him. We would have less conflict and less division in the church if we were preaching the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 10, Paul said this, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters and outdo one another in showing honor. Man, I love that verse. Outdo one another. It's not competition. Of, look at what I'm doing. Look, look at how many people I've led to Christ. Look at, look at how many people I'm discipling. Look at what I've done for the Lord. What are y'all doing? It's outdo one another in showing love and grace and honor to one another. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I mean, caring and loving and being concerned for one another. That's how you live when you come together. Now, let me address one more thing before I close that Peter addresses here in the text. Notice what he says. He says, For the one who wants to love life and see good days, if that's you, would you wave at me? Do you want to put verse 10 up there if you would, uh, Charlie? If you want to love life and you want to see good days. I was sitting right there yesterday, Brother Ken, I was sitting right there yesterday, and I was just thinking about the value and importance of a day. A day. Every day matters. Every day matters. You don't know how many days you got left. So why not just make them good days? Make them good days. Enjoy the Lord. Enjoy your life. Peter says, if you want to do that, let me tell you what you got to do. You got to watch your mouth. You got to watch your mouth. Let him keep his tongue from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You got to watch what you say. You got to be careful. You know, in this time of transition for our church, I totally understand that people have opinions. And I told the first service this morning, I heard a preacher say years ago that opinions are like armpits. 
Most people have a couple and they generally stink. That's what he said. I had not even walked out of this room on the Sunday I resigned and people were giving their opinion. People were giving their opinions to the staff. We need to do this. We need to do that. What, do we, what about this? What about that? How about we just slow down just a little bit and pray <laughs> and seek the Lord? Because if everybody wants to give their opinion, you're going to have mass chaos. What everybody needs to do is just pray. Just pray. And as you pray, be really, really careful about what you say. I was in my office in here Friday, and I was listening to a podcast that's been done about First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, a legacy church in the Southern Baptist Convention. I've been there many times for pastor's conferences and other things, and I've been blessed there so much. I'll never forget, 1996, I was there, and I heard John MacArthur, Jerry Falwell, and Adrian Rogers, like back-to-back as a young preacher. I'll never forget that. And over the last few years, that church has gone through a lot of, of issues and turmoil. The podcast is what happened at First Baptist Church. If you want to listen to it, our staff guys are listening to it. And on Friday, they released a new uh, podcast. There's actually two podcasts. One is, is about lies, 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 lies. And the other one was to answer questions about those lies that have been spread around as people talk. People email, people text, people say things. People give their opinion about things. And before you know it, I want to remind you, just a little striking of the match, just a little striking of the match can cause an inferno. I've told the staff, get ready. Just get ready. Anytime you have a time of transition, there's vulnerability. There's vulnerability. And get ready to hear things like, I didn't like Tim anyway. Get ready to, did I hear that? Jack Moore. I'm going to tell on you. I'm going to tell on you. I was standing out in the lobby out there Wednesday night, and I heard him in the office in there, and he, he knew I was standing outside the door. He said, well, I never liked Tim anyway. I'm glad he's leaving. You're going to hear, well, Tim wouldn't have done it this way, or why can't you be like Tim, or I didn't like Tim, or the next pastor needs to do this or do that or whatever. Time out. We need to be on our knees praying, praying, praying for the next. I'm already praying for the next pastor of this church. How many of you believe, and I want you to hear me, how many of you believe that the devil is plotting and scheming right now, and unfortunately it might be in your heart and mind, if you're not careful. The devil wants to bring division in the church. That's what he wants. Well, it's going to, everything's going to be all right. Hold, hold on just a minute. Hold on just a minute. One of my friends two Sundays ago stood up behind the pulpit just like this on Sunday morning church with a police officer standing right there. Because of the way church members were acting. And it was chaos. When everything got done, the pastor with tears running down his cheeks said to the police officer, I'm so sorry that you had to see that and experience that at church. How many of you know that's sad? That's sad. But the devil likes to get people sideways. Devil, I got I know what we need to do. Here's what no, you know, how about we need to pray? Be careful what you say. Seek the Lord. Peter unpacks it. I, I want you to know, I want you to know too that man, as a pastor, been here almost 20 years, and I walked out of this place. I meant it when I said it a couple weeks ago. Misty and Lexi and I are going, we're going to be your biggest cheerleaders. We're praying for the next pastor and his family. We want to see this church just to keep growing and going. And I want you to know, I'm going to be watching from North Alabama. But I'm going to tell you something that's even more important than that. 
It's not that Tim is watching. It's that God's watching. He says it right here. I'm watching. I'm watching my church. I'm watching my children. What else is God doing? It says God's listening. God's listening. He's listening to our prayers. He's listening to our words. He's listening. He's listening. Then he finishes up verse number 12 by saying, God is judging those who are disobedient. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes people think they're so spiritual in what they have to say. They sound so spiritual. And what they're really doing is causing division in the church. I can give you plenty of examples. You had better be careful at causing division in God's church. Because God doesn't smile upon that. He gave His very best. He gave His Son, His only begotten Son, paid the price for the church. He paid the price and bought the church with His blood. The church doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Him. And He cares about His church. And even greater than that for you today is this, you ought to care about His name in this church and in this community. Everything we do is for His glory, for His praise, and for His honor. Now, I just unpacked those verses for you, and I'm done. But I'm going to tell you something, Point Church. You better take those five verses and wrap your arms around them in these days. Wrap your arms around them. Don't come apart. Come together. And I believe God's going to do great things. Amen? Let's stand together.